Welcome to the Heart of Soul podcast, an exploration of who you are, what you are, and why you are, offering new ways to investigate age-old questions at the heart of you. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for listening to the Heart of Soul podcast. Or thank you for watching the Heart of Soul podcast, because I'm happy to announce we just finally launched the videos of the podcast on YouTube, and you can find those at youtube.com slash at the heart of soul. That'll get you there. So if you want to see us and not just listen, now you can. If you prefer not to be distracted by our wild gestures, pounding tables, and um, squinting in uh, frustration, or I don't know what, gesturing in outrage, then you can continue to just listen. It's totally up to you. In this episode, number 49, self-to-self relationality, melting control into experiencing the raw chaos of reality, how narcissism and altruism are equally wound-based, how real love is always a transaction, whether you believe it or not, and how we can only ever be responsible for ourselves and responsive to others. We also explore what it means to start from a me and you place rather than a me, 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 or you, you, you place, which is a lot more challenging than it sounds. I remind you, as always, to please listen to this podcast or watch this podcast from the beginning and in order. Thanks so much for listening. Well, greetings, everybody. And as I've said at least a few times recently, um, uh, you join us already in progress. I, I actually I knew earlier today. Hello, Stace. Oh, hello. <laughs> don't want to don't want to not give you the opportunity to speak in the beginning of the podcast. But, uh, okay. Yeah, I've been meaning to. We really need to start before we start. I need to start recording before because I, I traditionally will say a few things about what's going on with me to Stace. And then he often will say, well, that's great. We should include that in the podcast. And so we should. And um, <laughs> what I was saying was, uh, is that um, the the rapid, uh, I almost said deterioration, but that's not really the, a, a good word for what's happening with control, the melting of control or the easing of control in me um, is having the completely unintended but predictable result of causing me to experience the chaos and impermanence of life. And I just did um, today four hours of talking with people. Um, and I, I did really some of my best work with people but it seems like there's just enough of my soul me that is forward in my experience now that my gifts are showing up better. And I'm like, it's like, it's chaotic and impermanent and a little bit not quite scary. I would, wouldn't say scary for my soul, but um, um, unfamiliar, but also familiar at the same time. Kind of like, oh, I remember coming from this place. Like, I know this. It's so it's tentative, like a like a horse on you know that was just born. Like it can stand and walk, but it hasn't. It really wobbles. Been, it, wobbles. it wobbles. Yeah, <laughs> but my green is like right behind me, just terrified and just wondering how I'm pulling any of this off. Um, I taught a. Uh, I'm doing this course now um, called Soul's Journey in Cinema, which is sort of using the hero's journey in different movies, and we were. Um, oh, talking nice. about yeah, it's been fun. We were talking about the the Goonies today, the eighty five oh, film. Oh, I, I love that film. Which and I'm seeing because I watched these films. I haven't seen Goonies in like twenty years, and so I watched it last night. You know, because like I got it. I'm supposed to teach about it today, and so <laughs> the first twenty minutes of the film, there's a panic rising in a part of me that's like, 
okay, one, I don't like this movie anymore. And two, <laughs> I don't see anything interesting about it to teach. <laughs> and so I felt the gold in me that was like, all right, well, we got to find something like it's on, it's committed. And then what started to emerge, which is actually kind of relevant to the Heart of Soul podcast, is um, the when I look at these movies with the intention to find something about the soul to mm-hmm. come out, I find them in ways mm-hmm. I never saw them before. The Goonies is about, um, it seems to me, totally wide open, clear now. It's about the child's inner world versus the adult world. Yes. And they're underground in the unconscious and the imagination. And, um, you know, there's all this dynamic tension about, like, will they go back to the surface and give up on the adventure of their, you know, exploration? Um, and in the end, it's the, the, the literally the jewels that re- are recovered from the children um, that save the community from being destroyed and all of that. And, and oh, but it's God. fascinatingly, it's not until the jewels are recovered because they lost all the treasures, they thought, but then they yes. find the marble bag with the right. jewels in it. And it's mm-hmm. not until that moment, suddenly the journalists want to know all about, the adults want to know all about what happened. But prior mm-hmm. to that, no adult is curious about the children's world at all. Right. And then the mm-hmm. grotesque sloth guy, he represents mm-hmm. the abused child who's the kid of the Fal- Falcone or for, I forget the whatever, the Falchetti right. family, whatever. And mm-hmm. so he represents the abused child. And but he bonds with um, uh, the, the chunk kid over yes. the baby Ruth. And the yes. love between them is what saves yes. the day. I mean, it's just all about the triumph of emotion over the repression of it. Oh, God, no Joseph, that, what a beautiful interpretation and metaphor uh, that's explicated in the movie as um, seamless uh, reality, but it's yeah. not. It's segmented reality. But yeah. the, the reason I brought that up is because as I was talking about it, I had some of some notes, but there was at least five minutes, 10 minutes in there where I was talking and it was like I, I was going to lose it at any moment. It was kind of like I was falling forward in my experience it was like leaning back in a chair and like i almost fell caught myself and i almost completely lost the thread and some part of me was just terrified but it felt like my soul was like no no i got this Uh but it was really scary for some part of me because it was you know supposed to put on the show and show Mm -hmm. the things and say the people and all that (laughs) Uh, so it's um yeah and i've been chipping away at this kind of stuff for a few years as ever since I lost the ability to plan my talks entirely. Mm -hmm. Um, But it it seems like there, there seems to always be more, more green, more contrivance, more consideredness, more excess mind. It seems like there's always more to give up. Mm -hmm. Is there always more? Well, um, it's a, it's an interesting and a beautiful question. What's left looks like more because you've replaced all the old (laughs) so it actually grows bigger perceptually on the inner eye because all that's left just gets bigger and bigger because um it's right up to work (laughs) but you've you've you've, um it Mm -hmm. starts out really small when you start working on this you know Mm -hmm. oh it's just a layer of me but then the more work you do the bigger it fills the screen of your consciousness it's really amazing it's sort of like when you uh, the older you get the the how each day seems shorter because yes, it's a smaller right. fraction of your life and like exactly. time goes faster same kind of principle similar yes 
And the reason I, I'm so glad you shared that is because um, we haven't completed yet um, relational space between self and other, but maybe next time uh, or the time after that, no, probably next time, we'll talk about what it is to relate to yourself. What's the relational space between self and self? And uh, I just, for those of you that um, uh, haven't heard that terminology enough to re recall it when Joseph says gold and green. Oh, yeah. Green, green is our... Um, our wound-based version of self that couldn't help but be there because we ne never got um, adequate soul, heart-soul food uh, in childhood, all of us. None, none of us got it. So we had to become someone other than our authentic, emoto, soulful self. That's green. And it's green because there's a heartful contraction to avoid the pain of our of our lack of actually emoto, soulful food. And gold is uh, the voice that is slowly uncovered of our emoto soulful authentic self, which begins, which is behind the uh, green um, uh, protector that's trying to deal and cope with life. Uh, no bad guys here. The shadow is not bad. It's just it's green to us, not black. Mm -hmm. uh, and so um, the gold seeps through from the soul in the back and uh, to the forward, and then it becomes real in the real world. And that shows the green protector version of ourselves that. Whoa, there's a new sheriff in town. They that the soul eye knows how to navigate, in this case, chaos, chaos without any effort. And that threatens the control in all of our greens um, yeah. that wants to create a world that's stable, safe, and predictable. So and that, it's so important. I've been talking with a few different people recently about this, and it 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 hit me somewhere in a I had a sort of revelatory moment in the last week that to to be what i know it just hit me like oh every day my job mm -hmm. is to be what i know mm -hmm. because if i just lead with knowing what i know uh, that doesn't go really anywhere and um but to but to hold myself to in what way in this hour in this minute am i really being what i know and not riding on the well i know it and occasionally i am it and that's not and that's enough yeah. Um, but I, I think uh, largely because of our educational conditioning, we're not yeah. taught that there's a difference between yes. knowing what you know and being what you know. And oh, that's a big, great. big problem. Whoa, that's 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 a that's a gap uh, big enough to drive a paradigm through. <laughs> but, I, but there's, I, an, there's it, another. Did you used to call it the embodiment gap? I call it the embodiment. I don't know if I stole that oh, from you or not. No, I call no, it the embodiment gap. That that's yours. Yeah. Okay. Um, but there's another interesting dimension to that that only you only get to moving from knowing what you know to being what you know when you start out working um uh, being what you feel ah, when you yes. be what you feel long enough in the in our in the track of identity that that uh, works on uh, local uh, um, wound healing from the local personality and childhood uh, that gives you the room to one day, just like you said. See? Because then the question is, well, why aren't you being what you know? And the answer yes. is in the emotional body wounds, inevitably. Fear. Exactly. Exactly. It, yeah. You know, even if we're 100% gold, which no one will ever be, we, but all, all we do here in identity is try to reverse the two-thirds uh, percentage contribution to our everyday being. We all are by default two-thirds green, and most of that is unconscious to us until we get work to um, find a way to access the unconscious woundings. And so in that sense, um, uh, I love how you, you phrase that um, because uh, another way of saying know 
know, be what I know is also requires a bit of sage in there. And uh-huh. that, that relates to Ram Dass's be here now. Uh-huh. Uh, there's a, there's a conflation there. There's an overlap between sagehood work, non-dual work and uh, personhood work. So it's really interesting uh, that you can describe that so well, Joseph. Well, and the what I'm noticing that is the I mean the, I think the the sort of base the bedrock of the chaos is that um, it's one thing to know that everything is a verb, mm-hmm. but to experience it is oh it's yes. quite disorienting uh, at first I guess or disorienting for green gold yes. or is a verb yes and right knows right. it's a verb and is. Right. I mean, I'm trying to like feel like where's the part of me that's really comfortable with this? Yeah, it's like a still place in the middle of it. I can kind of feel it, but the um, the transition. And I've had different periods of my life in the last five years or so that are like where like a another sort of uh, noun layer on reality gets removed, and it's suddenly like yes. oh, all of this is kind of swirling and moving and. Um, yeah, and it doesn't that that wasn't safe for us as children, of course. So no, we, we, no. We think it's dangerous. And, is it, and isn't it that the tragedy? Because we're naturally verbs, verbish. Yeah, we're constantly in the flow of what's next, what's next, and we're unfolding into joyful, liberative, liberating um, childhood that we lose because we learn to control a down and make nouns out of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you could say that in our in our terminology, an enheartened life is free of nouns altogether. Mm-hmm. We're relating to reality and everything in reality, including other people, including ourselves, as 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 rivers that are moving. There's a, it's a meta noun. A, a river is an, a meta noun, but it's not. It's a context noun and not a content noun. And we're taught, conditioned, to relate to everything as content nouns, including ourselves. And, you know, what I never connected before is that a projection, like a personhood, you know, mother projection, father projection, it is a nounification. That person's not who they are, which is a verb. It's taking like a photograph of a parent and like pinning it to their forehead and that's who they are. It's a it's exactly. a, in content. It's they remind you of your mother or whatever. But in context, it nounifies. So it's existentially Absolutely. untrue. Absolutely. And anytime you um, you feel harmed or otherwise victimized by an outer authority, the default that identity offers it's it's not a hundred percent true, but pretty darn close to a hundred percent. If you have a big outsized reaction to an adult, adult authority that victimized you, really, there's a lot of projection going on there. The shoe is fitting somehow to an old wound that hasn't been healed. If the sh- if it, the wound is healed, the 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 pro- the projection of what an adult author a, a mother or father did in your childhood won't create um, a big outsized reaction. You go, oh, this this authority's full of shit, but there's something else here that maybe is interesting. You know, you don't you just don't react in big outsized ways when you heal your your green. So our green. Yeah. So it's all interesting. Oh that oh God, you just reminded me of something that I wanted to talk about today. Um the uh joy, sorrow and compassion, the three soul emotions. Uh-huh. I've been mm-hmm. playing around with it. It's not easy to stay with for very long, but been playing around with a little bit of a practice. If those are the three core emotions of soul, like all the way down, pure yes. gold. Essentially. Essential. Essential. Yeah. To 
in any moment of my experience, when I remember to do it, if I go, okay, well, am I experiencing joy, sorrow, or compassion? And if I'm not, right, what am I experiencing? Yes. <laughs> and that question, it backlights whatever I'm actually feeling and somehow allows more curiosity, more engagement with that thing. And it's like, oh, no, I'm not. Let's see, I'm not feeling that. I'm feeling kind of sad. And that's like, it's got some ingredients of sorrow. And then it makes me want to go, well, what is this sadness then? Because mm -hmm. it, it creates a sort of um, a backstop of like, well, if the essential me is joy, yes. sorrow, and compassion, and you sort of try to feel and live into that, it creates a frame that it's it's almost like it, it, it causes gold to like push up for um, consideration or feeling consideration what is actually yes. going on rather than just living with whatever the stray barely felt emotion uh, or feeling actually is. So I think there's a practice uh, there, a goal building practice there. Well, I, I got to tell you, um, I've, you been already doing do that. That. <laughs> I've been doing that consciously for about five or six years now. I finally got, <laughs> got into the rhythm of it. Mm -hmm. Because, as you say, there's another, I'll, I'll use my own words here, that completely resonate with what you're saying. And you discovered it all on your own, because I've never shared this before. Uh -huh. um, is that um, if I'm not feeling joy, I, I, gotta, I have enough access to an enheartened um, uh, um, embodiment of joy, sorrow, and compassion. It's, it's, it's not my, quite my default yet, but it's, it's enough. It's enough to, if I'm not feeling that, I have meta then, not fusion. That's right, meta, that's the word, yeah. Meta, to not fusion to the emotional I'm feeling in the moment that's downline of joy, sorrow, and comfort. Specifically compassion. emotive meta, not mental meta. No, no, emotive meta. Yeah. And so that is a great way to, that practice, now that you mentioned it, I've never heard anyone else do this, so we're right in, in line <laughs> so here. Cool. This is so cool. Um, if you never do any work in, in identity's um, uh, personhood path, this alone, this there's never been a benchmark of what soulful, authentic, core, emotive being is. And the best three islands sticking up from the mountain range under the, the, uh, o the ocean surface of consciousness that al alerts you to it is joy, sorrow, and compassion. The presence that it's not embodiable in that moment allows you to investigate from a meta space what you are feeling. And then secondarily, is that feeling based in a reasonably healthy reality or a projective wounded reality? So it's just a great practice. And you've got to get a certain place. I did anyway. It's a <laughs> very high bar. Yeah, you say oh, like it's, your, it's not quite your default. I wouldn't say it's anywhere near my default. So I'd be curious how a, a total beginner, if it would work at all. I'm not sure, but it would be as it would be something to start with because yeah. to to actually embody it. What did you just call your uh, the your embodiment word? gap? The embodiment it gap frames the embodiment gap. Yeah, yeah. You need sage and sainthood added uh, to personhood uh -huh. because the, yeah. until you have um, the um, tabula rasa, uh, not experience of temporary um, uh, outshining by the pre-dual aspect of divine being. Um, there's going to be perturbations in the consciousness field that just by default will lead you down old, worn paths. Mm. 
Whereas sagehood will, will wipe that. And then sainthood with your relationship with divine being will flood you with such universal and personal kinds of cosmic divine love that it, that it illuminates the joy, sorrow, and compassion path. It's like a big flashlight, a big um, what mm. a torch, if you're in, from England, mm -hmm. a big torch that, that allows you to better um, discern and remember in the moment that joy, sorrow, and compassion is your deepest being. So you need sage and saint with that to have it as a default. And I hope to get there before I die. <laughs> yeah, I would <laughs> so. worry otherwise without that. It, it, it would uh, Green would try to manufacture the uh, yes. joy, sorrow, yeah. and compassion, and then it'd be it, constructive rather than deconstructive. But I Right. Sage, sage and saint together wipe that pot, makes no room for that anymore. Mm -hmm or much less room. Well, while, just... while we're on the subject, this is, it's always fun to surprise uh, Stace with um, uh, surprise questions uh, uh, and, <laughs> and reads just so you could see the uh, power and skill that he has. Here's something that happened to me a few nights ago before we get into today's topic. Um, I was trying to go to sleep um, if, uh, about, a, I don't know, four or five days ago, and I had the experience that it was like a clear line right down my body where the entire left side of me was in notness and was like being negated it was almost like it didn't exist and i didn't want to move i probably i could have moved but i was just sort of just stunned with the sensation of it it was almost like it was yeah like half of me was being disappeared just yes by by notness what do you make of yes. that what is that Oh, well, now there's a topic. Now we're into relational space of self to self in soul to incarnated personality here. Okay. Um, and so I give a little background uh, uh -huh. to make that interpretation um, juicy. Uh, okay. jo what, we're, what Joseph is, is experiencing here has a big input from the fact that he's had many lifetimes that has already pre-dual enlightened. Mm-hmm. And so when uh, when uh, the identity encounters such a, a soul, and we do all the time, we tend to draw people who have past enlightenments in sage or, or saint. Um, the tabula rasa of the pre-dual um, of dualism, liberation from dualism, or the abidement with divine being, either a Western devotional with God past, past lives or the Eastern non-devotional, no God except well, non-duality is their God, you know. Uh, so in the old days anyway, not in our days for us. So in that sense, um, when Joseph, because Joseph is carrying both sage and saint lifetimes, um, Eastern esoteric and Western relational relative to a God or a divine being, anything he does in personhood grounded local Joseph Shapiro domains automatically invites into his being his past en enlightenments in either sage or saint or both. Which adds so a lot Joseph's to the disorientation, honor. by the way. Absolutely right. Like, who who, who are you? you? You You've got at least six, six lives six was what I was in play. Say, yeah. <laughs> in play at that moment. And then, then where's the center to you, Joseph? Mm. Well, it's in there somewhere, but it's being filled in with um, the soul centers of other lifetimes, issues, and experiences. So what happens here is Joseph's been doing some, for him, the core work after all these years of, of uh, you know, assiduous and relentless self-investigation <laughs> in a couple of different domains. Joseph 
is working his core um, uh, control uh, versus chaos relationship with the world and within himself. This is heat big medicine. This is the bandwidths are have such high frequencies in them. Just a little bit of progress in that control chaos axis will invite in, draft in automatically your sage and saint. Every time I make a big thing in personhood, a big step, man, I, I've got to be expecting for a few weeks to be literally dis, disoriented, not dissociated, just disoriented as sage and saint new flows enter my being. Right? And this is something we've seen with many people, which is a really many interesting people. validation of the paradigm because it was never right. intended for that to happen. That was no phenomenon. And that's why <laughs> there, everything that's really real has to be emergent, not mindfully predicted by our assumptions. It liberates outcomes to emerge. And the identity is, is all about that because it says, try this on for size. It, there's no absolutism in that. So anyway, last point here is, uh, as Joseph has been doing this uh, work with his control versus chaos axis, um, what, what, what I would describe has happened is um, a sagely, um, a, a flow moved in because that 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 the central canal at the top at the crown um, is access to uh, uh, the non-dual aspect of spirit and the um, the one uh, portal down uh, in the perineum uh, is uh, is the ground is the ground to earth so what happens is when you heal such uh -huh. a core personal um, uh, issue what happens is fourth chakra opens a bit because the, that's 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 the soul spot uh, uh the, the the sainthood soul spot is the rear of four and that will come in and when that that's a yin and any chakra yeah. what happens is was the flow comes in from the back any to your back and any from the front at fourth chakra and i've never seen any other chakra system say this at fourth chakra, half the input goes up and half the input goes down. Mm -hmm. Everybody out there in chakra land thinks it all goes up from one to seven. Um, it doesn't. Oh, because up the, is better than down, right? Exactly. The spiritual is better than the human. Exactly. Uh -huh. you've, got, you've got to transcend, don't you know? Yes. Everything's got to mm -hmm. be up and out of this goddamn toilet called planet wow. Earth, right? Mm -hmm. See? So, so when I first traced this in myself just in the last year, uh, to see how fourth chakra any from God in front of me or divine being in front of me and divine my soul behind me um, will move the connect will flow in go up up from four out through uh, the crown and down from four down through the perineum. There's the vertical that Joseph talked about, and since since um, the whole uh, a healing path is the healing of over yonged actions and reactions all of a sudden his left side disappeared your left side disappeared um, and that and that shows how deeply into both uh, how, how deeply your sage and saint prior lifetime attainments are flowing into your shapiroism your joseph shapiroism and so what at what some point um that should also negate your right side and you'll re-up when that happens simultaneously, right and left, 
you'll have re-upped your your pre-dual, um, non-dual enlightenment, and you'll be out of commission for a little while. You might not be able <laughs> oh, to do a podcast. Right? Well, it yet, makes sense that the left would go first because the yang would be yes, the sort of, of last holdout. It, Right. Exactly, because that's all our yanga control shit, you know. Yeah. Especially as men, we've got an extra dollop of yangness, you know. So we get a little harder uh, uh, unless you transcend and segment so much you separate. It was so transcend. weird. It was even in my mind, like while I was like checking to see, like, okay, what can I actually feel? Uh, like, okay, well, I'm thinking right now. Can am I thinking with the left side of my mind? I was like, <laughs> no, I can only feel the right. It was yes, because really it weird. controls the left side. Yeah. yeah. Your your right brain is going to sort of um, feel really weird as your left side goes negate, knows negate, <laughs> yeah, goes negating. Yeah. So um, in this in this case, this is a real benchmark uh, for your progress. You see, wow. and so but he, but here's the thing: no one, including me, in my in my opinion, because I know most of the people doing this deep work of identity, uh, almost all. Uh, no one has re-upped their past life attainments and sage or saint into a, a, a more fully healed personhood. I I didn't. My, my sage and saint access happened way before mm. I ever had a chance to do personhood. So Joseph, Joseph and others like him are moving, in, in, and Bree is another one, um, yeah. moving into a space where they're, they're re-upping past life sage and saint uh, uh, enlightenments will will settle in into and through a stable, soulful personhood. Will that take you out? I don't know. Will, 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 will you have a non-dual enlightenment that wiped out the self? No way, because there's a healthy, soulful self there already ready to receive it. Mm -hmm. So, we don't know. I'm waiting, and, and, and right at the moment, there's only a few of you. Bree and you stand out. Um, a couple other people are getting close. When that re-ups, you're going to tell me what's happening. How does this feel in you? Because I can only surmise. Yeah. And, uh, well, and, it's and super quiet. interesting. Yeah, and it's uh, both uh, uneasy for some part of me and also exciting to be a guinea pig. But I also I've noticed some other oh. things like, oh, I was cutting my my fingers and uh, fingernails and toenails yesterday and I went to my right foot you know I was doing it for a while I did my hands and I went to my right foot I was I was doing my left foot and I went to my right foot and the pinky toe had already been cut and I had absolutely no memory of doing that wow mm -hmm. and it was like I must have it was freshly cut I must have yes. done it in the previous 60 seconds Yes. And there was absolutely no memory of it all. And I've I've lost a fair amount of time and memory here and there, but that really stood out to me. There was something new about that. Like I couldn't even retrieve the memory. It was normally that kind of thing happens and it's like, okay, now I remember doing it. I lose it for a second. But now mm -hmm. I'm forgetting things and not retrieving the memory of it at all. Like it's just gone. Wow. I'm so glad you brought that we went down that rabbit hole and retrieved this issue um, because listeners, um, uh, because of the yin, uh, yin divinity um, suffusing the world zeitgeist of the human collective since 2012, there's a yinification going on and a de-yangification, a, a flood of yin that allows us to more space to even heal our over-yanged response, actions and reactions. But, but, uh, more to this point, 
it's disorienting a lot of people mm-hmm, who yeah. have um, other past life enlightenments, this loss of memory immediacy, like you said here, or or memory, and the fear out there, if you can, if you're listening, um, that you have Alzheimer's, or there's some neurobiological thing going on, forget about it. The, yeah. the as we said back in uh, my hometown, um, uh, forget about it. Forget. Uh, because the likelihood is, is that your past life uh, uh, attainments and, and sage, mostly sage, usually in this case, is going to be uh, moving through your body, whether you like it or not, and rob you of some dualistic box formation or dualistic box retrieval. Mm-hmm. It's not Alzheimer's. It's your past attainments catching up with you. So if this undermines your normal life to a, rare, a degree, Give us a call. Either go to my website um, or or Joseph's and be part of the podcast questionings when you get around to that. Yeah. And we can help identify and calm you not to worry about um, what's going on. 90% of the time, maybe 10% of the time you do have Alzheimer's, but I doubt it if you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I, I worked with someone years ago whose memory was failing this way. And I I, I, I tried to contact it in this way. And, and I remember she had a really difficult time because it was like part of her identity was I'm someone yeah. who enjoys life through revisiting my memories, like looking at photos. Yeah. And like, uh, yeah, that that's thin soup. Like you're going to have to just let go of that. And un- unfortunately, like, you know, I already have I- I've never liked photographs. <laughs> so it's Me neither. Not, neither yeah. I. So but but for some people, it's very challenging if to, to the degree they're invested in that kind of conceptualization and mentalization, because um, I think life is taking it away from a lot of people, whether they like it or not. And that's 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 a that's a good point. Um, But you bring up another point that just makes an Edenist crazy, just makes it crazy. Um, uh, The the use of the present to create memories as a future past. (laughs) Now, this this just it addles my brain and I've got a pretty good brain. And I just it just makes me crazy because. Uh, my 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 family says this all the time. Oh, it's all about making memories. Oh know? God, that thing. <laughs> that, that you see, oh, and you, you just alluded to a version of that, and and that is mm. so. W- w- of course, the present is different than the now. But when you want to fill the present as a bank for a future, as a future past, so you can look back and and make yourself feel um, alive in some way, you've robbed yourself of the immediacy interface with real life uh yeah. you're utilizing the mental body's capacity to remember and project or imagine the future yeah. you're using the present which is the real interface to just be with what what's happening in this what's right in front of you it robs you of that because you're making memories i don't you're filling I, your present with memories I, for a I was once walking through the grounds of the ritz carlton on the west side of maui and uh i saw they have hammocks and stuff all over the place and i saw this girl walking by she must have been i don't know 15 17 and she laid down in the hammock she was walking by it she wasn't in the hammock she laid down in the hammock took a selfie of herself in the hammock and then got up and kept walking <laughs> Oh, and then, uh, like there it is that's the symbol there, yeah. like yeah. i want to put this on instagram or facebook and give people the impression the image yes. that i was lounging around in a hammock all day when that yes. is not actually what happened but i have the memory of this forever 
Right. And, and and that picture is for her, too, to look back on when she's old and wrinkled. And, well, look at me enjoying the sunshine. She probably won't remember that it was a selfie right? that was artificial. That's right. Yeah. Oh, she'll, she'll be like, oh, what a relaxing afternoon. I must have spent hours there. Like, no, that's all made oh, up. That hurts my heart a bit. You know? Yeah. But, you know, I anyway. see social media becomes a, a tool for reality, you could say, for us to dead end that to, so that we yes. can you know, take yeah. the use of the mind and photographs and all that, because now everybody has a high quality camera on them. Great. Right. Make those memories. See how fulfilled it makes you. And, um, you know, I hope it's not too painful for you when you reach the end of it. Because yeah, I hope not either. The, the more we um, uh, dead end from a deeply invested place, the harder the brick wall uh, our soul cracks into and it's painful. But uh, yeah, one thing, uh, my sister just tried to send me some things uh, on, on first, I mean, Facebook, um, and uh, meta. Uh, meta, <laughs> meta, um, meta, yeah. Um, and uh, it wouldn't open because um, have, uh, social media is against my religion, and I just don't have any of them. Um, mm -hmm. And so uh, it's fine. I don't criticize anyone who does. But you've got to be really careful what what you're doing with it relative to your immediacy of being you know you're storing for some future moment or wanting to register some past moment for the future or you're looking for people to co-sign your existence by posting i post therefore i am <laughs> you know? it's a uh, so many not everybody does that but Everybody yeah. who's on it rather regularly, somewhere in you, you're operating on a post, therefore I am. I They need that posting, that attention by others to verify their existence or to justify their existence. Mm -hmm. Verify that they exist or make them feel good about how many likes they got today, you know? Mm -hmm. It's just, it's it's sad, but you're exactly right what you say. We've got to go through this. We've got to wrestle our technology into our soulful uh, uh, track until it dead ends. We've got to yeah. do do whatever we got to do to um, dead end. And just so people know that uh, identity doesn't have any kind of rule about social media, I, I no. use Instagram <laughs> and Facebook sparingly and very carefully, and I don't post yes. anything. Yes. Um, occasionally I'll drop a comment here or there if I see an opportunity to insert an alternate point of view. Um, <laughs> oh, good for you. Yeah, just good here and you. there, you know, where there's like, oh, here's an opportunity to, but it never lands anywhere. But and I used to get hooked by Facebook debates and I won't allow myself to do that anymore because you can't argue paradigms. Sure. So it's not about the social media itself. It's your relationship to it. Yeah. Oh, did I hear the word relationship? Uh, uh... Segway, segway. <laughs> okay. So what we've just been doing is still technically in relational space because yeah. it's our relationship to our relationship to everything else that we've been talking about today. Mm -hmm. So it's all it all fits. Uh, but we'd have to leave this fairly juicy uh, particular rabbit hole right now for a little drier philosophical take on the architecture of relational space. I'll make it um, not dry. And I doubt it will yeah. be dry. Yeah. Okay. All right. So um, we I want to start with what we kind of ended up with. I'd like to reboot it uh, just to get us started again, that in all relational space with other, um, we're still with relationship, uh, relational space with self and other. There's an I pole, a self pole and an other pole. Right. Uh, in the very least, a relational space is the dynamical interchange between a self pole who is 
you would be you and the other pole uh, and the, uh, of the other. Now that's a self I pole and there's an other I pole. And so there's the, the really bare bones skeleton of relational space, uh, two or more people engaged in um, self pole and other pole in, um, discourse or intercourse of some kind. So in that sense, um, the, big, the big problem with all of us uh, in the world zeitgeist is that we have been conditioned all over the world by the religious nonsense that it is better to, for the self pole to start with the needs and wants of the other pole to altruistically serve spiritually um, our tenure time on earth. In other words, altruism, sacrifice, and unconditional love had taught have taught us that if you start with the wants and needs of the I self pole, you're a narcissist or a sinner, psychologically or religiously. Because to start with the I self, the needs and wants of the I self, is goes against the um, teachings of most Western religions, all pivoting on that yourself is uh, must be to be rectified in some way with divine being or to earn a spot uh, in heaven somewhere with a golden halo uh, for you waiting with your name on it. It's you've got to get out of your selfish needs and wants and serve the needs and wants of others. So because that's in the background, it's not true for everyone. Um, secular uh, atheists or empiricists, they don't tend to do that, but it's in the background in all of our conditioning, not allowing any of us to be wholly not affected by it. And that's the thing that identity tries to confront here that, as we said in other podcasts, um, uh, and I said it exactly the way it works, the self-pole chooses to serve the needs and wants of the other pole. And that means the self-pole still came first. You can't, <laughs> you can't get out of the fact that everything starts with you, that, that everything is a choice by your self-pole, even if it is to vacate the needs of your needs and wants, to serve the needs and wants of the other pole. Uh, so once you get that clear, which is not clear in any paradigm that I've ever met that takes into account how deeply we're conditioned by dark age religion, um, the first job is to start to admit that there is it is impossible, it is impossible, literally impossible, to serve, to not serve self-interest. That's you one of uh, what Aristotle would call one of the first principles of uh, yes. identity. Yeah. Exactly right. That you, it's impossible not to serve self-interest first, even if that self-interest chooses to serve the needs and wants of others. You can't get around it. And that, corollary, uh, why would you want that to be possible is really the curiosity. Why is it so exactly. important? Because if you right. challenge that with people, you'll see people make all these works. It's like, and wh why is it so important that other oh can come God. before I? That, right. That's really where it gets juicy. It is because uh, literally reorienting, closing the embodiment gap mm. and actually living that you can never get out of self-interest. It only becomes, are you possessed of toxic self-interest or emotively mature self-interest? It's another whole nuanced dimension rather than the black and white um, of self versus other. Uh, self, the, the needs of self 
um, war with the needs of uh, uh, needs serving the needs of self and wants and needs and, and serving the needs of self wants and needs of the other is all only occurs in uh, in Greenland. <laughs> in, in, wo in wounded performer land. It doesn't happen in your authentic soul. The soul, our soul eye is completely at, uh, at, at ease with the fact that you can't get out of self-interest ever. Yeah, what's so interesting about it is like the, the notion, I mean, it's an existential level notion that you can start with needs of self and not, uh, needs of other and not self. It's yes. a get out of deal it's a get out of dealing with my own psyche jail free card you know exactly right it's, it's exactly. a personal form of transcendence it's like oh well if i just commit myself to service then i don't have to deal with all of this rot and wounds inside myself so it makes perfect sense that that people would come from that place especially since psychology didn't exist until 120 years ago what were they to do of course yes. you start with other sure of course and and but but see the thing here the, and the, the the thing that laminates it even worse to put you out of touch with yourself um, is that there's a carrot dangling at the other end. You get a reward by God. You oh, get yeah. a reward by heaven. So it, it's a horrible um, bait and switch uh, because uh, one day we've got to put our feet so not just in the earth but one way of planting our feet on the earth while keeping our wings in the heavens is, is closing the embodiment gap and learning to really embody that self-interest is, non-self-interest is impossible. It's impossible. And that way you've got to deal with all of your hidden motives here, why you want to serve another needing, uh, another's needs and wants of other, as opposed to just doing so because it's going to get you in heaven or to get you out of uh, looking at your own self-examination. Of course, what is right here is, I, I just uh, keep wanting to say, but Stace, aren't two people who love each other, who each of which starts with the needs of the other, if both people are doing that, isn't that what creates a wonderful relationship? <laughs> oh my God. That... Identity would say, well, that's certainly what's out there. Mm -hmm. But in identity's picture, it's the quintessence of codependence. Yeah. Right? Because both of you are consciously, in that, in that situation, both of you are consciously abdicating your own sacred selfhood. And the idea in that, you know, seductive idea is that um, it's going to cancel out. You know, and somehow everything will be served and God will be happy with both of you and give you your halos when you yeah, die. What 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 supposedly cancels out? What is it? What is that? If you unfold that, it you, you, you it's like a box you open and you and you, you swear there's something in the box. And, oh, I'm just not looking in the right place. It's empty. <laughs> there's nothing there. There's no realness there. There's only fabricated. Let's create an outcome that we both want, as opposed to let's start with source. Yeah. You, you abdicate the source pole of your own being and to create an artificial strategic outcome. Yeah. Oh, we'll all, we'll get along better. Well, I'll serve yours and you serve mine. So I'll get my, my needs met and wants, and you'll get your needs met. That's what supposedly balances it out. Or I use the word cancel, what balances yeah, it out. Yeah, 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 but yeah. it's fool's gold because who... If if my partner, um, if Bree started uh, orienting, Stace, I really get love now. I, I'm going to serve all your needs and wants and not my own. And if you do the same, then we're going to really clean up our relationship. 
all I could do in that moment is is um, question my whole basis for why Bree and I are in relationship. <laughs> because in that moment, the only way I can get to whatever outcome our relationship wants to bring up for us, if we strategically try to serve each other's without looking about at why, Bree could wind up serving on a really deeply neurotic or 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 psychotic need or want of mine. Mm -hmm. And then she's not helping me at all. She's helping me. She's enabling me. Well, and here, here's a place where I can tell a personal story. I was a year, I think just a year into um, uh, what was way back when Ash emotive sub self healing, the, mm -hmm. I don't know, uh, the beta one, version, beta version, yeah. right? Not 1.0. Yeah. That was beta. Yeah. It was in the, a year into the beta version of uh, of EBE, and um, uh, most of the work that I did in that first year was with the depression part, and mm -hmm. uh, it became. I was with a woman at the time and had been with uh, her for I think about four or five years at that time, and when um, it became clear that there was a um, protective part that was sort of pushing my depression part. Um, handing her to the woman I was with and getting love. It was like my my depression part, who was female, was in a lesbian relationship with the woman I was with. Whoa, wait, wait. Let, let, let people digest that. Yeah. <laughs> my, this, is common, this is common word forms with Edenists. Uh, yes, uh, so, so we've got to slow really down. So, so I got to know my depression part, whose name was Alice, and she named herself after Alice in Wonderland, which was a big book for me in high school and younger and as I got to know this part of me who was beautiful aspect of me and wrote poetry and was just tragically sad all the time and um, sh that part that depression part needed me to care for her but what was happening was her protector in me was farming her needs out to the woman I was with farming them out yes yes so there was a, a it was a couple of weeks it was pretty specific and I was up visiting, um, I was up in Oregon at the time, we were all around Ashland at the time, and I remember some big stuff moved where that protector part realized how exhausting and unfulfilling it wasn't really working. He realized that he that that Alice was not getting her needs met through this lesbian relationship. And <laughs> and I, I, if I remember right, I almost, I feel like I almost saw it like somewhere in my third eye or in my heart that my depression part turned around and came to me. Yes. And like for the first time, I didn't even realize I wasn't really relating with her that closely, but she came to me and the protector was no longer there. And yes. within a day or two, the relationship I had with that woman was gone. It just fizzled. I didn't feel oh. it anymore. Wow, that is such a compelling example, Joseph. Thanks for bringing that. Because that uh, that tells people out in the in in the, in the podcast land here that that when the the, the healing moment in in identities EBE the current version is when the a wounded sub persona stops projecting its relational needs on other and re, and turns around and seeks it from us. Bob, the boss of being, uh, we used to call HOH, or we still do um, the gold. Uh, yeah. And so here was where a wound to get succored into healing needs to be integrated into our leading edge, 
from its trailing edge that's trying to catch up to the now reality. So this is nothing less than miraculous. It, uh, if you describe this to a psychiatrist or a psychotherapist, or um, it, it would it would be it would raise eyebrows in most of them because they don't characterize the inner world the same way we do. We Internal family the, systems might. In some it, might, it might, yeah, yeah, but since they don't, they're, they're, they don't pivot on where emotional, emotive beings first. They'll have an energetic version of it, like an mm. uh, uh, um, emotional intelligence version of it, which is not the same at all as what we do. So, thanks for saying that, um, because he, and here's a, here's where that leads to from our mm. what what brought that up forward here for you to self to reveal, is that when you altruize, that is, choose in your own. I self to serve the needs and wants of others more than yours, you're saying them, them, them. That's one side. If you're simply staying in a wound in a wounded place, because mm -hmm. only a wounded person would make another person's needs and wants um uh, uh, uh and, and drop out the fact that you're choosing to do it and think you're being altruistically saintly or something. What happens is then you're making them, them, them the center of your world. Mm -hmm. choosing to make them than them on the other side people who don't give a rat's butt about um what others need and want and only want their own needs serves it becomes a me 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 versus a them 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 both of those are equally neurotic equally wound base it's not an a me and them it's them them or me me them 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 or me 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 and the, the forms of me, 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 narcissism or them, 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 altruism are equally uh, wound-based. And this is all going on somewhere to some degree in all of us because of the th two to three thousand year baking in the planetary zeitgeist that altruism is, is healthier spiritually than selfism. Look mm -hmm. at what Zen does. Um, it, uh, the esoteric East is the ultimate screw you to the self it doesn't exist don't you know yeah. it's an illusion that's wholesale wholesale abdication of self uh and just because there's a a a, a way that 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 of, of truth about non-duality that makes that possible doesn't make it healthy when it's motivated and and done by an emotively immature person so our job here in in ebe's uh, current version is to find the sweet spot but where it's us it's me and you not me or you mm. me 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 is an either or them 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 you 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 is a is a as another um 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 it's also an either what or, I, what, what? and the also an either or right it discludes the other mm -hmm. the and me and you is the actual healthy architecture of relational space if you don't consciously start from me and you all the way down to your unconscious you're going to default to some unholy mixture of me 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 or them 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 that's going to confuse the hell out of any relatedness especially an intimate relationship so in that sense you could say that the me 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 and the them 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 or you 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 is the quintessence of um of codependence uh because there's nothing healthy going on there except the either overly neurotic narcissism or overly neurotic altruism going on in the relational space hmm. so 
How do we be non-narcissistically responsible for our own being? And then also non-caretaking, how do we non-caretakingly be responsive to other to other? That's the question that EBE lives into every moment. I'll say that again for clarity's sake. Please. How do we non-narcissistically stand, re, make ourselves responsible for our own actions and reactions and non-caretakingly be responsive to others' um, uh, 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 actions and reactions? We re reconfigure relational space philosophically in a whole other way. And this bears um, uh, one slight half rabbit hole to remind everyone we've talked about in this other um, other podcast that we can only be responsible for ourselves not responsible for anyone else I, i'm only responsible for i for what i output i'm not responsible for how a person receives it but i am responsive to how my what i'm putting out of me goes in you have to be responsive to what what you're putting out of you affects the other not to sell out what what you're putting out but to to realize what your impact is on other you're selling out um, if you if you're a narcissist you never consider your impact on others you just don't consider it so without impact um, space your impact on others healthy relationship is impossible yeah, I was once talking to someone who was really into getting into NLP. And, oh no, uh, no, no! <laughs> someone no. you know who used to do EBE 1.0 got really into NLP, and um, uh, we were friends at the time. And uh, he's yeah, like I said, he started to get really into NLP, and I started to watch him get kind of edgy, and um, it started to hurt talking to him. And I said, like some of the things you're you're saying, it's like it's starting to kind of hurt. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like, like I'm getting kicked in the shins. And yeah. there was kind of a pause. And he said, Oh, it's really interesting that you're having that experience. And I was like, Oh, shit. And I knew because yeah. I understand NLP, I've studied it. I knew yeah. I was like, that's it. Like, he's gone yeah. into the deep end. And now because yeah. in NLP, everyone is 100% responsible for creating their experience. And yes. no one is responsible for their impact on others. Because their whole paradigm would fall apart because you have yes. to have total control over your own experience or else Completely. you're not empowered. That is an existential wound. Anyone who buys in, drinks the Kool-Aid of NLP has an existential level wound of, of uh, being that has to have an excessive amount of control over their own reality. Mm -hmm. It's ridiculous. This, no one creates their own reality. Unless you mean by that, I create my own version of reality. All right, so far, yeah. an entity would agree with that. But you don't, you cannot, everything that you do co-creates with seven and a half other billion people. <laughs> yeah. You'd have to be you're the only person on the earth to actually mean, uh, I create my own reality I have no, I, I can't worry about anyone else's, imp, my impact on anyone else. You you would have to be the only person on earth because you're deluding yourself if you think that needing not needing to be responsive, not responsible. NLP can't make the difference between responsible yeah. and responsive. It's a broken paradigm. It's what Keith Raniere uh, used yeah. 
to yeah. abuse uh, and, and trap and, all those people. Yeah, and it's very empowering. You know, I was really in the landmark education, which uses a lot of NLP in my uh, early 20s. And um, I, yeah, it's like their, their NLP is on to the truth that you can't be responsible, responsible for the other person. And then they just swing the pendulum too far the right. other way. Exactly. Um, and another way to, to say the downside of it is that it's a mental map driven paradigm you're cognating all the time you're and even if your emotions do come into play they follow the cognitive map that nlp gives you so you're only living from your mind and your and your duality um a per, an enlightened person could never do nlp yeah because you have <laughs> to believe yeah it's so if i mean we're back to episode eight or whatever when we talked about um the elements of paradigms for that to be true you have to believe that emotions are downstream of thoughts Yes, and have then, to believe. And then you can control all of your thoughts and all of your feelings. And so if someone has a, quote, negative impact on you, well, uh, that's entirely a result of you not having sufficient control over yourself. Yes, And exactly. super interesting stuff can go from trying to dead end that. And, um, yeah. you know, I, I learned a lot from it. Um, but it's sure. uh, it takes a lot of work to get yourself out of that um, pit of um, yes. mental body uh, fusion. Um Right. And the fact that this, per- yeah. And the fact that this person used to do, used to um, be involved with our work. That, that means, really surprised me. Yeah. That means the whole, we're emotive, emotive, soulful, emotive beings first was completely rejected. Um, yeah. Uh, it never stuck to this person. So yeah. that's fine. Um, we don't need it to stick in everyone. People got to take the path that they need to take. Or it did stick. And they had to and, kick the tires of it in their own experience. I mean, hey, yeah. after we had our falling out, I, I after all of the teaching of do personhood first, do personhood first, don't, <laughs> don't get, you don't want to awaken before you do your emotional homework. I didn't do that. And yeah. I, I ended I didn't, it wasn't really intentional. I ended up being with a therapist who after three or four months I discovered was a big Ajasanti fan. And I mm-hmm. kicked and screamed. It was like, no, I don't want to do that. And then something in me got hooked. And, yeah. and then, and I, I think I needed to do that. Am yes, I still paying absolutely. a price? I think I might be done after about, it's been two years this month, actually, since we re- reconnected. I think yeah. I'm finally um, no longer paying the price for that turn, I think. But it took a good year or two. Yeah. And again, everything that you hear in these podcasts, st- do what you need to do, because if mm-hmm. you're doing what you need to do, and you have a greater capacity to not uh, do what you're doing it will show up as a dead end yeah you've got it you've got to you've got to have self-authority all the way um and so the, there's always there's prices to pay though as joseph yeah. just so admirably said it's a really sticky thing to disentangle to an investment in something that was not uh, healthy for you to do yeah, because let me insert something here, because as recently as like last week, you know, when my control part is on the ropes and getting a lot of sort of uh, pressure to let go and and things are starting to get hard, uh, I have uh, thoughts that are coming from that part. But it seems like me that's like, let's forget all of this healing emotion stuff and go back to transcendent land. Wasn't that okay? And b- before I had that awakening in 2019, I did, and when things got hard, I didn't have that temptation before because right. I didn't have that access. And now I right. do. And now right. my green has a whole arsenal that it can draw yes. from. 
Yes. Uh, and that's, and that's too difficult to navigate sometimes. Absolutely. So enough of um, cursing the darkness. Um, yeah. what, what's uh, what's identities like lighting a candle here? Mm-hmm. Our, our principle um, is that uh, to honestly and responsively care about our impact on another, but never hold ourselves totally responsible for it is the sweet spot that only an emotionally mature being can navigate in relational space. You, we, we've got to be able to find that sweet spot of being self-responsible and other-responsive. Otherwise, there's no dyad going on. NLPers are, are, are dancing with themselves. There's no other. There's no um, a relational space juiciness to any relationship an NLP, uh, a rabid NLPer is having because they're, they've entombed themselves in a mental body primary um, reality that not, keeps them sealed off from the heart and soul of themselves and the other person. So if you got to be an NLP, NLP, stick stick with it. Don't believe anything we say. We're just here when you dead end. I, I love that, that that's how it's unfolded, Joseph, is we're always here if you dead end. Stay with what you're doing. Don't, don't take our word for anything. Test everything out. Um, uh, in, in some ways, um, uh, if, if we take a, a quick non-dual sidebar here, uh, samsara is not an over-attachment to an illusory personal being. Samsara is attachment to absolutism. Hmm. In other words, if you absolutism means you nounify everything because you have to be the ultimate nounifier to say, I'm capable of an absolute truth. As long as you have verb kind of sway inside your positions of your belief system, um, you're you're still open uh, to um, uh, uh, the reality of how we're all verbs. And samsara, in that sense, if we recast samsara as uh, from the over-attachment to an illusory personal being to absolutism, it makes it makes room for soul inside the pre-non-dual. Uh, paradigm, which is a topic for another day. I just wanted to throw that in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, um, responsivity for our impact on other is not altruism. It's not altruism. It's self-response. I my self-responsibility in 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 absolutely requires me to be responsive to my am, impact on others. If I'm not responsive to the, my impact on others, I'm masturbating inside of um, relational space and thinking I'm relating to the other person. It's that clear. It's that real for me. So, yeah, it and gets sticky it, how to apply this, but there's the principle. Go yeah. Ahead. And then while that's happening, there's usually, like I was talking about in my former uh, romantic relationship, there's some unconscious need getting met from some other unconscious need getting that yes. while that's happening on the surface. Exactly right, right. And, you know, that I don't know if we've talked about this directly but um, bef- before, but uh, but maybe it's a good place to insert this. The <laughs> What I experienced was, you know, um, when I talked about that depression part of mine turning around and coming to me and then the relationship sort of disappeared, Yes. What I mean to say by by that was the love that I thought I felt for this person 
Mm-hmm. I didn't anymore because that love wasn't between me and her it yes. was between a wounded part of me and a wounded part of her yes and um and so classic re- displacement displacement yeah. yeah and so what it it wasn't until the next person i was with that i actually experienced a i don't know about real love but certainly a realer one and identities um high standards for uh, codependence and, and high standards for what love really is, I think will show most people who think they know what love is that they don't actually know, that yes. they actually How haven't could, experienced it yet. Right. How could they, if they're dominated by our emotively and authentic version of self by two-thirds margin? It, the authentic self's going to bleed through. That one-third is going to bleed through. Yeah. It's not, You're not totally covered by our shadow. But wow, um, it, you're exactly right. Uh, the whole experience of what love is, and not coincidentally, is exactly the next thing I want to talk about. Aha, uh-huh. well, that's super you cool. Are, uh, well, and I want to insert there, like, as if this is episode 49, cool, a perfect square number. Uh, if if we haven't said enough controversial things so far uh, <laughs> that would cause people to abandon and run away and, you know, report us to the FCC or something. Uh, <laughs> Saying that the vast majority of of, uh, people on the planet um, have not actually experienced the the they've only experienced the shallows and not the real depths of of real love. It's a really controversial um, statement, but it certainly has been my experience. Yeah, I had somebody ask me once, "Unless you met everyone in the world, how dare you say such a thing?" Oh, I got a response for that. I got one for that. Go ahead. The same way I know everyone in the world has an esophagus, but I haven't met them all yet either. <laughs> exactly. Some of them surely don't, but you know what? I'll bet a million dollars that most of them do. <laughs> exactly. Uh, that that is such a null and void uh, uh, aphorism. Uh, that that whole mm-hmm. phrase and all the, the the paradigm that's behind that phrase is just repellent to me. Yeah. Right. Um, you don't have to know everyone's issues when you're operating from a principle that is provable over and over and over and everything that Joseph and I are talking about, I can tell you, I've been at this a little less than 40 years. I have not found an exception to these principles, even though I test them with doubt space every single day. We could also say the same way I know if I drop this pen, it's going to go down and not up. That's how I know. Yes. It could be this this time. Maybe it'll go up. No, it could be. <laughs> I'd be willing to bet my life on it that it's going to, it goes down every time I let, let it go. Well, the principle of what you just so beautifully brought is that really, despite everyone being two-thirds shut down and refracting perception and reality and projecting that refractive um uh, 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 warpage into all of our relatal, relational spaces. There's never Earth is not suffering from any lack of love, which it which it would show. You know, it would be very easy to say, look at how much more will based will to power uh, there is in the world, and not love. You know, identity would disagree um, and take its cue. Not take the cue, but but would agree with love is all around uh, uh, in the from the movie. Um, um, love actually, uh, love actually, right? It's not this world is not suffering in identity's opinion from any lack of love. It's suffering from a lack of emotively mature love. Mm. 
And so the Im, Im, emotively immature love is the shallows, as Joseph just said, and emotively mature love, transaction of love between two um, uh, two people, for example, is yeah, the one that... When, I'm sorry, when the love is moving between two wounded parts, as often happens in codependence, then it's not that there isn't love happening there. It's just that right. the love is being used in service. Yes. So mm-hmm. you don't get to really experience it. It's um, yeah. not to the same degree because it's it's being contorted in that way, in ways yeah. it's not supposed to be used. Yeah, and if if that and if uh, let, let's use let's go down another associated rabbit hole, but it's directly connected, so it's not really a rabbit hole, um, and that is that uh, identity would say that it is as a sidebar of what we've been saying earlier, that any relational um, uh, relational space is impossibly, it can never not be a transaction, a transaction where mutual, where both self-interests are being advocated, even if those self-interests are um, unconscious. In other words, you, you see a lot in modern um, psycho-spiritual terms that Real love, I've read this directly, real love is not a transaction because there's no selfishness involved. Oh, God. Well, in other words, transaction, and we've talked about this in other podcasts, a transaction implies that even sacrifice has a benefit to the self. Like you you went on really, really deeply at some point that the original idea of sacrifice was always an appeasement. There was always a, a self-interest served, a deal, a, deal. a transaction. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and identity says this, this, this is this is magical thinking mm. that real love isn't a transaction. It denies that you can't not be in self-interest. You, you, we're not conditioned to track that self-interest. But just because we're not conditioned to track it doesn't mean it isn't operating in every single moment of our lives. So to talk about an enlightened or enheartened or emotively mature relational space, it has to start with the embodiment of self-interest that is self-responsible between us and us and responsive to other only that space of self-responsibility and responsiveness of our impact on other is going to allow the transaction to healthify to that degree. So there's so many subtle layers to what relational space is and to what's out there now. I just want to dispel um, identities, um, how much identity uh, uh, diverges from the standard uh, that somehow reducing, oh, this was the other part of it, when you reduce love to a transaction, you take away all its magic. And and this sure. this gags me almost as much as um, uh, the present being used to make memories. You know, I just, <laughs> I can't, it just, it just, I, I, everything gobbledygooks in me. And I go, well, okay, that's a younger soul attempt. Um, they'll dead end one day, one lifetime. Probably not this lifetime if they're really wedded to it. But hey, who knows what's going to happen, right? But what? But love is something that swells up in us, and it moves us to do something. You know, it moves us to act in unpredictable, emergent, magical ways. How is that a transaction? Hmm. Someone might ask. Someone might ask. Uh, uh, would you do your um, your friend and your um, 
past and semi-current mentor uh, a favor and 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 say that again <laughs> and maybe reword it a list a little um, say it again if we're moved by love mm-hmm. um and we're compelled by love to do something especially mm-hmm. if it's generous or noble or um mm-hmm. not necessarily uh financially advantageous or something mm-hmm. if we're moved by it how is that a transaction if there's no expectation of anything in return well the answer the question comes out of the fact that the person is only operating on conscious awarenesses uh-huh. they're not operating on unconscious motives right um if two-thirds if identity is right and it proves itself every day that way that two-thirds of our motives for our conscious intentions are wound-based mm-hmm. wound-based so only someone who says that um, that you're moved by love with no expectation of return not consciously but you're swimming in the shallowest third of the of your soul soul being in that moment but that you say that if that's where you have to be if you you, if you have less than um you know 150 or 200 lifetimes here that'll get you down the lane this lifetime okay and but that if motive you, could be as simple as i want to have a relationship with this person which automatically right. makes it self-interested right or thank you yes exactly <laughs> exactly right uh when you're moved by love let's go down to the next level of that let's parse this when yeah. you're moved by love how do you know the love you're moved by isn't toxically neurotic or emotively mature unless you examine the unconscious reason that you hold that conscious intention Mm -hmm. most of the time people's conscious intention for altruism is either to be unconscious motive for doing conscious altruism is you'll love me now if i do this that's one Mm -hmm. god will love me if i do this or my own self-image will be polished and burnished for myself if i do this all of those are neurotic and 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 unwhole and keeps you in the shallows of love it's it's okay if that's good enough for you it's not good enough for um, a soul who is investigating all you could say the personhood arm of of ebe of identity is to get access to the unconscious motives for all of our conscious intentions Psychology can't do that very well. Spirituality discounts it altogether because it was born yeah. 2,000 years before psychology uh, reminded us through Freud and Jung that uh, the unconscious rules the conscious until the conscious realizes the unconscious rules the conscious and, and takes over. So, and certainly, like um, to think back about that relationship I was talking about, we were together four or five years. And I certainly expressed a lot of loving type things in her direction. And it it took four or five years and then a year of uh, uh, EBE beta form to, yes. to realize that a lot of that expression of love, like the majority of it, was all for a depression part to get her needs met in a way oh, that yes. actually her was the depression part. Um, right. So like when I think and then when when that part turned around and came to me, then the love went away. It was like I, I didn't experience that love for the woman anymore. Yeah. Except in a universal kind of way. I mean, I still sure. think she was she was a good person. Anyway, but 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 that spark of like, yeah, I want to be with this person was revealed yes. to be. It was actually all for that unconscious motive. 
which yeah. I didn't realize for five years. Oh, if that isn't proof of the pot, proof in the pie, so to yeah. speak, um, of everything we're talking about here. Another way to kind of uh, begin to kind of summarize today and, and uh, complete is that what's happening in the relational stream is happening so rapidly, we're unaware of it. You have to slow down consciousness really slowly to start to see what identity is talking about here. So that's why I don't believe anything we say, mm -hmm. because you can't will yourself to experience what we're talking about. Let me say that again. You can't use choice to experience what we're talking about. You have to, you have to um, deconstruct uh, your resistance to plumbing the depths of your unconscious. Uh, if if that's not up, if not up, not up this lifetime to do that, that's fine. But um, you won't relate to identity, and that's okay. Follow your your what you feel your your destiny is. But in in that sense, um, we have to our our um, apt perception of the complexity of relational space requires us to deconstruct resistance to finding the unconscious motives or our conscious intentions. And that's what we met go meta here for the whole thing today, Joseph, the conscious intentions for why we want to make the others needs more important to us or mm -hmm. NLP, which creates um, uh, narcissism uh, uh, while they think they're being wise and, uh, and above everything um, that that is impossible to do that's only possible to do when you don't plumb the unconscious motives for your conscious intentions. Mm -hmm. Without that, you can't have enlightened relationship identity offers. I use the word can't, but it's just an offering of identity. You've got to be you've got to be curious enough at the sobriety or the tones of what Joseph and I are talking about, not just the data, but the way we hold and our width and tone our truths here. Um, uh, if that nags at you as having some message for you, that's what these podcasts are for. But I just want to put in, last but not least, I'll repeat it, you can't will your way to these consciousness states. You have to deconstruct your way to these the consciousness states that identity lives as is normal for us. Uh, uh, but what's is not normal for what the world is conditioned is to do out there in in paradigmatic relational land. And you can't do it alone either. Which no. is a, someone mm -hmm. asked me that question recently too. It's, it's like if if we started out seventy percent gold and thirty percent green, maybe we could do yes. it alone. But we don't. Right. It's inverted. And um, yeah, absolutely. I, I, every two or three years, somebody asks me that. You know what you need to do, Stace. You need to write a self-help manual on everything you're saying here, so we don't we can do it ourselves. And I fantasize just... about that every other month, <laughs> or part okay. of me does, because <laughs> then it wouldn't have to deal with all of the triggers from working with people that come no, up. No, no, <laughs> an NLPer would love that. Then they've got their cognitive map, and they can stay comfortable in their little cocoon of wisdom and knowledge and. Oh, it's just heartbreaking to me because some of the, some beautiful people get hooked by NLP, yeah. but that means they've got existential wounds. God bless them, you know, but mm -hmm. but they're not in a lifetime to address them. So they got to go this through until it dead ends for their soul. Any soulful being will would dead end here. You've got to be really out of touch with your own soulfulness. You know what, what just hit way. me was uh, 
um, and I say this, like I, I, you, you were drawn to Zen um, yes. early on, but you know, like what other paradigms did you play around with? Not very many, right? Was it just no. Zen? Um, I, I, on purpose, when I started to get called to as as this new paradigm skeleton of um, of uh, 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 the pictures that I had about the nature of soul, the nature of self, the nature of consciousness, the nature of our what builds cultural and societal distortions, all this stuff. I purposely stayed out of doing a lot of research on other people's perspective. I wanted to keep mine as pure as possible. Yeah. I only secondarily learned of other people's pictures by people asking me questions. Uh -huh. And then I would look into it and go, oh, no wonder I didn't like that. Yeah. I don't like yeah. that. Now I know why. Yeah, you see? Yeah. But but your, your point is well taken. Um, and I think I, I know I said this in another podcast, I had a very different motive for seeking out Zen. Mm -hmm. What was um, it? It was, uh, it was a science experiment. Uh, oh, right. I remember. Remember? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I read somewhere that a really brilliant, uh, uh woman, uh, um, uh, uh, existential philosopher, uh, uh, said that all our feelings about all of our concepts and projections on god is just a wombic projection of mommy being oh, surrounded right, right, right. warm and i i got pulled to zen not because i i believed their premises but because i knew from past life in enlightenments in zen that it was dead arrow straight to to produce an enlightened state with the least amount of fat the least amount of fat some faulty premises but the least amount of fat and I needed to know because if if I enlightened in non-dual, um, and God disappeared, then I'll know that this woman existential philosopher was right, mm -hmm. and I wasn't going to delude myself anymore as I did such a little kid apparently, feeling this God presence, this God field around me every moment. I was born with it, so I had to question it, my own sobriety. Mm -hmm. So I went to Zen as an yeah. experiment, a, a science experiment. Well, that that fits with something. I have a. It's. I, I wouldn't say quite a, a criticism of you that I'm. I'm about mm -hmm. to lay on you here. Not not exactly okay. a criticism, but an observation. Because when you were talking about dead ending, which we talk about a lot, I had this feeling of like, I don't think Stace really knows what it's like to dead end a bunch of paradigms, <laughs> and then and then I realized like, oh no, he doesn't. <laughs> yeah, that's not I what don't. your soul signed up for. No, um, no. Because you can't, you you would not have developed it. You wouldn't have no. had the time. You spent 40 no. years developing this paradigm. I, I didn't invest in any paradigm to dead end into. Yeah. So you're exactly right. Yeah. Um, but because I didn't, I can see the, the necessity of dead ending when yeah. you get invested in other paradigms. I walked I walked away from catholicism. Sick. Yeah, that was your um, milk paradigm. Uh, my, my, my milk paradigm at 14 or 15. Yeah. Um, and so I, I just drifted in Ayn Rand, um, a heroic, uh, a singular individual railing against altruism and railing against the status quo of the world. I, the only paradigm I had any partial investment in was objectivism by yeah. Rand, uh -huh. even though I knew she was absolutely a rabid atheist. But we we overlapped. I couldn't deny my God field experience, but I yeah. took what she had, the only role model I had for myself 
was a Howard Rourke or a John Galt, or as I've said in other times, Superman with a Jesus head on him. You know, <laughs> is that yeah. that 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 somehow that picture um, uh, 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 was a role model for me because I never met a role model. Yeah, I never met a role model, which means role models all have their own paradigms. And, and I never had a role model, so I could never buy into a role model's paradigm. Yeah. I had to split myself, put my God field aside, and learn everything I could and take it through my whole emotional system of Ayn Randism or objectivism uh, until I dead-ended in it. It's the only paradigm I dead-ended uh -huh. in. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's one. really interesting. Um, yeah, because it's it, it, it's another – there are so many unusual things about you, and, and that's, that's a, one I never really thought about before because – for myself, and I know so many people who've been drawn to identity have been people who, for the most part, have been lifetime seekers and dead-ended dead -ended many things. Yes. Um, so it just, uh, it, it, there's something characteriologically different about you yes. that that's not the path yeah. you took this life. Of course, there are many lives before where you did that. Absolutely. I did all my dead-ending in previous lives. Um, yeah. A, a lot of previous lives. A lot of them. <laughs> So I needed a huge amount of between 400 and 500 lifetimes here in the last epic to get where I didn't overinvest in any paradigm. Even when I chose to invest in Ayn Rand's, it only lasted about four years, five years. And this is, so, would be true of, I would imagine, most paradigm founders, um, even philosophers, yeah. Nietzsche, Kant, mm -hmm. uh, Muhammad, right. Yeshua, you know, these are not people who were... They, they they were seeded with something because they yes. had to start early because it takes decades yes. to develop a teaching like that. Yes, they, they were never hookable mm -hmm. by the allure of other paradigmatic um, yeah. It uh, would delay views. them too much. Yeah, yeah it, I, I know I was seeded that way. I know what my destiny was. I knew it was as soon as I left uh, graduate school. Mm -hmm. um, I knew what my destiny path was. I, I didn't know the content of it. But I, I knew at 27 what it wasn't. Yeah. And that opened up everything for me to discover what it is. Identity has this little biphrase that you only learn about who, what, and why you are by learning who, what, and why you aren't. Mm -hmm. that's, that's a real basic foundational principle in, in identity. You have to learn about who, what, and why you aren't before you can ever learn who, what, and why you really are. So you've got to start with um, deconstructing, not constructing. And I think the, the reason I wanted to bring it up, because I, I, I can imagine that uh, some people might hear your um, hear you coming from what they might feel is like an arrogant place. Oh, God, yeah. Mm -hmm. Because most of the people drawn to you know learning about a psycho-spiritual paradigm would be like me and would have spent... You know, I, I was uh, frustrated by something that didn't make sense about reality from the time I was 12 years old and then tried lots of mm -hmm. different things. And that's how most people come to it. And so mm -hmm. I would imagine it would be easier, easy for people to project onto you that somehow you um, operate as if you know something absolutely and oh, confuse God. that with you just knew what your paradigm was really early on. And yes. that makes you different than 99 percent of people. Yeah, and, and the downside of that, absolutely right, um, but there is an existential agonal loneliness sure. in, 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 in that truth that you just said. It looks, sounds noble and heroic. It's fucking hell to have lived a life 
not able to hook into anyone else's paradigm and thinking I was crazy and megalomaniacal. Yeah. And, and, and what happens here that when you really get the rubber meets the road, people mistake my passion for absolutism. Yeah. It's not. It's not arrogance. It, I'm passionate about this because it's in a 40 years of, of exploring, I've yet to hit a contradiction in the paradigm that I was seated with. I'm looking for it every day. There's no absolutism. But, but when you're passionate, it looks like, oh, only there people's experience with most people who are passionate, they're absolutists. Mm -hmm. I'm not. I'm not an absolutist. And neither is identity. We say it every podcast. And still, people I, I, I know out there would, well, is this guy arrogant? Is he coming from absolutism, even though we're saying it over and over and over? But you just brought it back home to me. And I really appreciate this, Joseph, who almost had tears there mm -hmm. of how um, known I feel by um, I never really abstracted. I was too busy doing it. You just gave me back to me an abstraction of what I did. Mm -hmm. Never got hooked by another paradigm. So I didn't have much dead ending to do. Um, yeah, like, well, if I go try to go into your world and be like, what would it have been like for me to know what? my path was and be building my own model for what reality was from the time I was, you know, 25. I, I can't even conceive of that because mm -hmm. my life has been so much about um, synthesizing and experimenting and buffeting. Like that's what most people do. So yes, yeah, yeah, I can't even imagine how lonely that was for you. Uh, there's no um, words in any language that can capture it. Um, but it's a, uh, when you've had enough experience dead ending in past lives, um, one day, one day, uh, maybe next lifetime, you'll be seated exactly this way because you will have run the gamut <laughs> on the lifetimes before now. And then uh, synthetically uh, synthesizing everything as Joseph Shapiro, you may you may set it up so you have this experience next lifetime. Because you certainly have enough lifetimes in the past to qualify. Well, I'll tell you what, the, the, the first five years or so of living on an island knowing nobody uh, helped me process a lot of aloneness, panic, and despair that definitely yes. would have prepared me to do something like that. I wouldn't have been ready to do it before then, for sure. That's, that's right. And this lifetime, you've had a close encounter mm -mm. with someone who's pulled it off, meaning you, <laughs> now, you now have a template yeah. to do it yourself. It's mm. it's like what Jesus said, you know, he, he never wanted anyone to raise him on any pedestal. Mm -hmm. He simply wanted, he invited people to duplicate his consciousness, mm -hmm. duplicate it, not, not um, uh, 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 climb some uh, uh, tree of glory. Uh, it's uh, is so humble to say, don't, please don't believe me, but you're invited to test what I'm passionate about. That's humility with a capital H. Mm -hmm. There's no arrogance in that. Mm -hmm. So thanks for abstracting that, giving that back to me. It just helps cement another piece that I'm working on, still getting all the way into my humanness. Because the only way I was able to develop uh -huh. this is to stay a little floaty above being a human man, because I didn't meet any other human men or women like me. Yeah, you'd have so, to float off of the humanity, otherwise you would have killed yourself. I, I had to. I had to abide in the God field to a certain degree. And it's only the last seven years where I finally made headway. And I'm I'm about 85% there. 
I hope in the next three to five years, I'll get to 100, um, where I'm top to bottom, uh, emoto humanized. So we'll see. Anyway, thanks so much. I that you brought it back to me as a real gift to me, Joseph. Thank you. You're so welcome. Thank you. Okay. Well, we've got the third thing next time. What's the third thing? Aren't um, we in a series of three here? There was uh, uh, the three things that clog up um, relationality. Oh, yeah. Today um, was other the I versus other pole. Right. That was the second thing? Um, I'd have to look at my notes. Uh, <laughs> Forget I forgot. it. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. I'll, I'll, we'll be prepared to complete it next time, I think, okay. because the next version of relational space we're going to go into is intimacy. Ah. Okay. Sex, sex, sexualized relational space. Okay. So that'll be a juicy one, too. If Yeah. If you don't want to listen to us talk about sex, then, like, what's wrong with you? Everybody wants <laughs> talk about sex so. <laughs> i mean we get down and dirty so uh no politeness in this way uh, <laughs> or or uh, being too aware of offending anyone uh not with our our beliefs our beliefs not belief system our reality uh that we are testing at all moments but that we can we can use the words um pussy and dick and stuff uh, very easily we don't I do it a lot but we certainly are capable of going that far so. <laughs> speak for yourself i still get a little shy <laughs> so, okay. I'm speaking for myself. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to put this in the show notes, but um, I'm in the process of putting all of the video on YouTube. The first 15, 14 or so videos are up on YouTube. That's at youtube.com slash at the heart of soul. And um, so people can watch the videos if they want to see our heads on the screen at the same time they're listening to us talk. And that's exciting and new. It is. Um, it adds another dimension. Um, the information is transmitted in a certain bandwidth by audio only. But if you combine audio and visual, some humanized uh, dimensions to the audio uh, can add to how, what you get out of the whole experience. So. Yeah. Even if, even if all you get to see is me dropping a pen three times, proving that <laughs> it falls every time. Those are the little moments where you wish you had video. Because otherwise, oh, but you know, there's there, there's Zeno's paradox here. Don't forget that, you know. That's right. So. Yes, because actually, the pen goes halfway and then halfway and then halfway and halfway. So it actually, mathematically, should never reach my hand in that way. Right, and that's why mathematics is not the kind of foundational language of reality. Amen. So. And this Pythagoras okay. rolls in his grave. <laughs> He was quite a good guy. I knew him. Uh, well, that's another whole story. Okay. <laughs> he so, was really um, against eating beans. I know that. Uh, there was some toxic thing in that. I forgot about that. You just reminded me of that. That's right. <laughs> Maybe he had trouble metabolizing and he farted a lot. Who knows? He farted yeah. a lot. His flatulence leaked into his paradigm and distorted it <laughs> to that degree. <laughs> just, yes. <laughs> See, I bet you nobody's not... ever said flatulence distorted a paradigm before. <laughs> <laughs> or connected Pythagoras with flatulence. <laughs> no, that no. I read that in a Bertrand Russell book. Oh, did yeah, you? Oh, that okay. Pythagoras's philosophy quote was based on the transmigration of souls and the sinfulness of eating beans. That's right out of Bertrand Russell. <laughs> I never forgot. Oh, that. that's a great summary. Isn't oh, it? that is great. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Stace. This was a long one. Thanks for hanging with us, and thank you, listeners. And uh, we hope to hear you. See you. Uh, next time. Bye for now. For the 50th podcast. Next yes. Time. Until then. Seminal. Okay. Yeah, indeed. Bye. Bye for now. Bye.
Thanks for listening to the Heart of Soul podcast. To learn more about Stace Barron and Identity, please visit identity.org. To learn more about Joseph Shapiro, visit clearandopen.com. Until next time, we wish you well on your journey.